This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. With the sixth pick in the 2016 NBA Draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Buddy Heald from Freeport, Bahamas, and the University of Oklahoma. Yes, indeed, that was NBA Commissioner Adam Silver announcing Buddy Heald as the newest member of the New Orleans Pelicans on draft night Thursday, June 23rd, as Buddy Heald and Sheck Diallo are now New Orleans Pelicans. Hi, everyone. Welcome into this pop-up Black and Blue Report draft edition. How about post-draft edition of the podcast? I'm Daniel Salerson. Alongside me, as usual, Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. We've had... I guess a few days to dissect the NBA draft, and we've had a chance to welcome in the two newest members of the Pelicans, Buddy Heald and Sheck Diallo, as they both had a press conference on Friday afternoon. So now that we've kind of things have, I guess things have died down a little bit before free agency, we thought we'd kind of discuss the draft a little bit and these two players and also what went down on Thursday night around the NBA. First off, Jim, you were there on Thursday night, your first NBA draft experience. How was it, my friend? It was pretty fun, and, and I was actually, I don't want to say surprised, but I was really happy with the access that we got. I mean, we were able to almost t- probably 10, 15 minutes after Buddy Heald was picked and he was kind of walking around the arena, we were able to kind of tag along with him for the next um, hour or so and just kind of see all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And then we also met up with Chuck later in the night, and I think we were the only people there talking to him of mm-hmm. all the media that was there. Um, I don't think any – not one other media person um, talked to him. I think we, he was, we were the only interview he did, which was kind of funny to, th- to think that you get drafted into the NBA and there's only two people there to talk to you. Um, so it, but it was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, it, was, it was interesting being there. But I think the main positive of being able to be there was just to be able to get the access that we got was really incredible. So you went around with Buddy after he was drafted. He did the media carousel, also included a pre- um interview on our draft radio show which jim was on actually basically facilitated that interview appreciate <laughs> yeah. that by that was the way. my phone that he i just handed him my phone and said hey i got buddy here did you sell that phone on ebay right after <laughs> no. no i actually yeah, i didn't think of that i still have my phone here maybe i could i could work something out let me see that <laughs> uh, jim so you follow around buddy healed you also like you mentioned were the only ones that got to interview Sheck diallo um your first experience with those two as far as the people um how were they I mean, I was impressed by Buddy Heald, both guys really, but starting with Buddy, I mean, the thing that was was neat was um, he was, he's extremely popular, I think everyone knows that, the the fans love him, he was just one of those stories and one of those personalities that kind of captivated everyone this season in the NCAA, but it was funny, um, not to say that there was no security at Barclays Center, but there were random people in the hallways as he kind of made his way throughout the the the, the uh, first floor that were coming up to him and asking for autographs and pictures and he handled it really really well and just seemed to ha- get so much of a kick out of the whole experience so I mean he was really cool he was gracious with everybody and um, in kind of a hectic situation where they're pulling you in 25 different directions and then like I said you got people coming out of nowhere just you know to to ask you for stuff so he he was great. And um, he also had a bunch of media from the Bahamas around him that were 
I mean, it was like a big party for these guys. Yeah. And, and no, no um, disrespect or no, I don't mean that as a negative. They, they were having a blast. The guys that cover him from that were there specifically from the Bahamas, they had so much fun, and it was it was really cool to be around those guys and see just how much joy they got out of it. Um, as far as Check goes, we actually we caught him like right after he was picked, and I think. I, I saw a difference in him on Friday when he was here for his press conference between then and when we talked to him because when we talked to him, it was right after he had been picked. And I think with a lot of guys, like including him, when you play one year and you, you declare for the draft, there's a big difference between getting picked in the first round and the second round in terms of your security, your the financial part of it, obviously, um, and the commitment that the team makes to you. So I think he was really disappointed. He wasn't – he wasn't, um, you know, negative towards us or anything like that. But you could just tell he was really disappointed that he, you know, it just it, it just happened that he went through the whole first round and didn't get picked. And I know, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what his decision in hindsight was, if he, he had any second thoughts about whether, you know, maybe I should have gone back or whatever. And he had a lot of other circumstances involved with his career as far as the academic eligibility clearance thing that was completely out of his control. But. We caught him, to make a long story short, like right after he kind of realized like, hey, I declared for the draft and I didn't get picked in the first round. So he was he was definitely disappointed, but he was very polite and he was very, um, very respectful for us and to us. And I think he I liked his attitude. He seemed like he immediately was like, you know, I just want to prove to people that maybe he didn't really specifically say that I should have been a first round pick. But I think he kind of felt like just right off the bat that he has something to prove. I think from reading a bunch of reactions afterwards from national media when you hear or talk about Buddy Heald coming to the Pelicans, everyone talks about how it's the perfect fit. And we got to pick number three with Boston, and everyone knew how, where it could, no one knew where it could go as far as what direction Boston might go, whether mm-hmm. they're trading the pick, whether they're drafting a forward, whether they're drafting a guard. They end up going with Jalen Brown. Then the Suns go and get Dragon Bender. Then you're thinking, all right, if you're the Pelicans, most people thought they're either going to go get Chris Dunn if Minnesota doesn't pick him, or you get Buddy Heald. So already you're probably in a pretty good position there. Take us through that moment for you when you were sitting there as the draft was unfolding, at least picks three and four, um, and also talk about this situation for Buddy because a lot of people are thinking with Alvin Gentry's offense and the type of shooter that Heald is, this is a match made in heaven. So your thoughts on how this all played out, picks three through six, and then what we'll get to Diallo in a minute, but what Buddy Heald, his impact and what he means to this team. I think you kind of laid out, uh, for the most part, exactly the way that I looked at it as it unfolded. When Boston took Jalen Brown, I was surprised because I didn't think that they would that he would go as high as he did. I knew he was going to go high, but I didn't think he would go at three. And then when, so that was a surprise, but that was a positive I think because it pushed a couple of guys down. And then um, I was a little surprised when Phoenix took Bender, but not shocked because I know they need bigs, as they showed by they added another big in the lottery later. But yeah, when when those two picks happened, it was like you knew they were the Pelicans were going to come out of this with somebody that they really really wanted and somebody that could make a big difference. So, so uh, I thought it were it, it really unfolded perfectly. I mean, there was a scenario where both of those guys could have been gone, and then you would have had to go in a different direction. But that luckily that didn't happen. Um, as far as the way that Buddy fits here, I've seen a few people write about this already, and I think it's it's a very good point. Um, in this system. I mean, he's one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the NCAA last year. Might have been the best. And he was all, he also, scoring average was second in the nation. Um, I think 
the ability to have somebody that can spot up and make shots and just be deadly accurate the way he is, I think is something that they, they need badly. I'd say in the last few years, really Ryan Anderson has been the one guy that's been the, a three-point shooter that could spot up and you could just find him and, and he'd make shots. But the re- most of the other scorers are really kind of slashers and guys that I don't want to say dominate the ball, but there there's a lot of dribble, dribble, dribble going on. So I think – as a lot of people have mentioned in since the draft, I think Buddy is he could be perfect because he's not going to be one of those guys who dominates the ball. He's one of those guys that gets it and makes a quick decision or shoots as a spot-up guy that is really a – I mean, we, who knows what he's going to do in the NBA overall or compared you know, with the NBA line, although I know a lot of people know he realizes that he has a lot of – he has great range to his shot. But um, – I mean, he could conceivably be the best catch-and-shoot guy immediately that's on the team next year. So I think in a lot of ways with this system and also the way the NBA is going, you know, that there's a, a couple of reasons why I really like the fit and like the addition of him to this team. Let's talk about one of the debates, and I don't want to call it an age-old debate, but it is an age debate about Buddy Heald being 22 years old. And um, it wasn't just also about Buddy. It's anyone that ha- goes into the draft after playing four years that there's not that much more upside that what you're getting in them is what you're going to get after their four years of college. Sure. And I think we've kind of gone back and forth with Alvin Gentry even talked about it in his uh, press conference on Friday, how at 22, you're still plenty of time for you to develop in this league and also still plenty of years left for you in this league. Um what is your thoughts? I mean, we talked about it before on the draft preview podcast as well, and it's been a debate ever since Thursday, even before that. Um, does his age really make that big of a difference right now? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different elements to it, and I think it is a it's a pretty complicated issue that you can't really sum up in in um, two minutes or whatever. But um, I think one of the things that's I think one of the things that Elvin Gentry kind of touched on during the press conference, where he said um, at what when did it happen that a guy's getting questioned for his age when he's 22 or 23? And I, I've heard someone, someone in a front office said to me one time, and I think this is a really good point that um, if you work for a team, if you're in the front office or you're a coach or, or whatever, um, you don't look at it as a negative that a guy is 22 and has more experience than somebody else who's 19 and only played one year in college. You look at it probably more as a positive because he's more ready to play right away. And I think someone told me one time, I'd rather have somebody else go through the struggles of another team, go through the struggles of this guy's 19. It's going to take him a couple of years to get to where he is. And you can talk about upside and stuff like that all you want. And a lot of the projections, which, you know, are important obviously, but also are some can be somewhat of a guessing game. And I think part of the point with what, with that statement about I'd rather have someone else go through the struggles of dealing with a player is in that interim period, you need to win. I mean, it's, this is not a newsflash that mm-hmm. if you don't win, you don't stay employed in the NBA very long as in any role. So um, I think I think some people, I think in basketball, um, in front offices and stuff like that, are do, do subscribe. I think everyone sub- understands the theory, but also I think that it's – from the inside, I think people sometimes are really confused by the idea that you'd rather have somebody who needs way more. You have to put way more work and way more time and have way more patience in getting him to the point where somebody else may already be at. Because, like I said, you have to, you still have to play 82 games next season. And 
if you're you have a guy that you drafted who's not going to help you very much or contribute very much and you picked him say in the lottery that's not necessarily a good equation for somebody who who wants to see progress from from a team on the other instance you have Shaq Diallo who the Pelicans traded up use 39 and 40 give them to the Clippers in exchange for Diallo at pick number 33 and like you mentioned before Diallo um, in a lot of projections was a late first round pick so in my opinion I want to get yours Diallo seemed like a low risk high reward kind of pick at number 33 and Dell said that he didn't think he was able to get Diallo if they waited at 39 and with sure. maybe a guy you might not get that much impact out of on 39 40 here's a 19 year old that may not have that much impact right away we don't mm -hmm. even know that yet right but it's someone that has a lot of uh, upside yeah I mean I think that's true and it's impossible to get into the heads of every other team or GM in the league but it's possible that there is a point in the first round where he's he wasn't going to be picked because you know that the, the the odds are pretty good that you're going to have to work with him, that he's going to develop over time, that he you probably I'm like like you said, who knows? It's impossible to yeah. predict, but more more likely than not, he's not going to play 30, 35 minutes a game this season. So, I think once you get to late first round, early second round, it's a lot more feasible to take somebody like that. He's the 33rd pick. You can say with a second round pick, you know we might not be able to get he he might not be able to make a massive impact from day 1 but 2 3 years down the road we we think that he can turn into something really helpful and some someone really valuable so yeah i think that that could have been part of what what happened with him i think i don't think he would have lasted very long if the pelicans didn't trade up to 33 i think i think there are a lot of teams that may have thought hey we're in the second round let's let's take this guy right now this is the perfect opportunity to get someone like him and develop him because a lot of the a lot of the second round picks, as we know, don't don't pan out. So it's a it's a pretty low risk thing, like you said. And Pelicans fans will get the, a chance to see Diallo and Heald for the first time, see how they, I guess, fare out so far in the mm -hmm. syst Alvin Gentry system at summer league uh, when they will play. Both of them will play there um, in early July. So Jim, this is our first chance to see what for some that like me who haven't really seen Diallo that much. We saw Buddy Heald. At sure. least for me last year a little bit, but this is a chance for uh, all of us to see what these guys kind of their first taste of the NBA here at Summer League. Yeah, I mean, I think for Buddy, as is the case for a lot of guys who are picked high in the draft, the Summer League is a really good experience in a lot of ways, but I think in one specific way it's good because they kind of get a taste of of everyone kind of coming at them. There's kind of a target on, on their back in terms of, you know, everyone that's – Almost everyone that's at summer league will is unproven to some extent and is trying to make their name. So I think it'll be a good experience for him to to be the guy that everyone you know other teams are going to try to go at and people are going to be competitive because if you're a summer if you're a guy invited to summer league and you play well against the sixth pick in the draft you you you're doing really well for yourself and you're maybe raising the opinions of people around the league about you. So I think that'll be a good experience for him. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot of things that we've seen with with rookies too. With the, there's a lot of minor, smaller adjustments that you have to make to the NBA, including obviously the three point line, the 24 second shot clock, some of the defensive rules. The way that the defensive contact is enforced is a big difference from college. So I think, you know, for him, that, those will be some of the of the things. And for for Czech, I think it's going to be a lot of it is, you know, he really didn't get a lot of reps last season. He didn't get to play in a lot of. Um, you know, high competitive games because he only averaged like seven minutes a game. So I think 
it'll be a good experience for him to be out there for I mean, we don't know exactly what the plan is for summer league, but you know, you would think he'll be out there for 20, 25, 30 minutes, you know, on a regular basis. So, I think that's something that he hasn't really gotten since his his um senior year of high school, so um that'll be good experience for him and also going against, you know, obviously bigger guys that you see in the NBA and um just to to see what he can do as as kind of a first step before we go into training camp in in uh, September. Jim Mike and offer pelicans.com. Daniel Salerson here doing a uh, post-draft pop-up podcast here on the Black and Blue Report. Uh, Jim, let's talk about the Southwest Division a little bit. And if you look at all the other teams besides the Pelicans, look at the Spurs, and I feel they might have had one of the steals of the draft as Deontay Murray, who is a lot of people thought top 15, top 20 pick, falls to San Antonio's lap, which always seems to be the case with San Antonio. <laughs> They're at pick number 29, Grizzlies. Drafted Wade Balderman, point guard from Vanderbilt. Um, that might have been in case of Mike Conley, who's impending free agent, not able to sign with the Grizzlies there. Mm-hmm. You had the Mavericks, who did not have a first-round pick. You had the Rockets, who had two second-round picks. Um, so those are the five teams. It seemed like you, if we're going to compare the Pelicans with the other four teams, I would say they had one of the better uh, nights in the draft. Yeah, the, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I think you, whatever incrementally it is, you, you, would, you hope that, this draft made you um, make progress with some of these other teams in the division. Um, It didn't really feel like there was really much discussion about any of the other teams in the division other than I would say slightly with um, the guy that the Spurs drafted 29, because like you said, he, he fell to them, which is a very Spurs like thing to happen. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, you hope that this draft with buddy and, and, and check eventually as well, is a is a good step to closing the gap between yourself and some of these other teams. Um, it, I mean, like you said, Dallas and Houston didn't even have first round picks, and I think there's not really a lot expected from I don't think any of the guys that either of those two teams picked. So hopefully you can you know between the draft and and maybe you can find a guy or two in summer league, you can keep adding to the younger core and the younger base foundation of the roster that you have right now. I also want to preface and say it doesn't mean that. The Spurs are not the team to beat in the division right now, just right. because, you know, draft wise, we had the sixth pick and they sure. had the 29th pick. We're talking about just the draft, just the draft right now. <laughs> so I don't want people to think, oh, yeah. I mean, just because Pelicans got Buddy Heal at six doesn't mean you know World Champs coming right. your way, something right. like that. But right. But anyways, let's kind of talk about the draft in general. Um, lots of stuff went on. I think everyone talked about how active this draft could be, and I feel like it didn't disappoint in that sense. You had the Suns and the Kings making a trade. Uh, Marquise Chris, drafted by the Kings, traded to the Suns for a few other draft picks. Kings go big with both their picks acquired by the Suns. You had the big Serge Ibaka trade going to the Orlando Magic. Victor Oladipo, Ursan Ilyasova, and Sabonis. Domitas Sabonis going to the Thunder. Um, What stood out to you, Jim, from the draft on Thursday besides the Pelicans in the Southwest Division? I think there were some – I think with the draft – specifically i thought one of the things that a lot of people are talking about is um minnesota getting chris dunn i mean if he turns out to be the player that a lot of people think he might be the core of that timberwolves team is just getting so scary and i think maybe it's it's i heard some people say that maybe they're a playoff team this season that might be a little bit too much to ask but i mean i think in the in the near future, they're going to be a pretty scary team in the Western Conference. So, I mean, that's something that, that as a team in the West, you're going to have to look out for and, and think about coming up here soon. 
Um, I thought Phoenix had a good draft just because, I mean, they added they added two uh, guys in the top eight. I know both of those guys might be projects, but um, in terms of where they are as a team, I think that's fine. I, I don't think anyone, even the most optimistic Suns fan, is, is sitting here right now in June going into the next season thinking, like, yeah, we're going to win 50 games or even maybe even contend for playoffs, I think. So for those for them to add two guys that they can they can kind of work with and Tyler Ulis I think was a good second round pick as well. There's a lot of people that like him. Um, they had a good draft. Um, I thought OKC's moves were interesting. That you know Serge Ibaka has been a big part of their success the last couple of years. And I do think personally I think people might be going a little bit overboard with acting like them losing losing him is no not a big deal at all as though it's nothing. But at the same time, I mean, what they got in that trade was pretty impressive. That they got a lottery pick number at number eleven. They got um, Victor Oladipo, and I know Ilyasova kind of seems like he's declining a little bit. But I mean, he's he's he can be a decent player. Oladipo, um, I think, will be a good fit with them. They haven't their two guards the last few years have been guys that have been almost um, non-existent offensively. So he gives them a different um, look that I think could be scary um and going over to the east i thought in another positive thing was um or a team that did some positive stuff was i I was really intrigued by what the pacers did because even though they weren't part of the draft they traded out of the draft they got thaddeus young who's a valuable player i've always liked him jeff teague is a really good player um he's i think he's an upgrade over george hill especially in terms of they're trying to play faster so if you look at the Pacers starting five now with the two guys that they added, I mean, they're they're pretty good across the board. So I'm not saying that they're going to compete with the Cavs or anything like that or that, that up that level. But I think they may have, in terms of next season competitiveness, they may have improved themselves, their chances um, more than anyone in the league in terms of like this year, I think they were a seven seed maybe. And next year, I think they have a chance to really move up quite a few um, pegs in the Eastern Conference. I want to go back to uh, the trade just for a second between Orlando and Oklahoma City. As far as the Magic standpoint, was it sort of a risk uh, taking the chance that Ibaka is going to be on the final year of his contract, not knowing that, you know, I think they're going to assume that they can probably work out a deal and hopefully he'll be there long-term for their sake. But if not, you just gave away a first-round pick. Yeah. One of the guys he took number two overall in Ersan Ilyasova for a guy that you might only have for one year. I think it is a risk to, to address you know your point, and I agree with that. But I, I think I understand a little bit of their mentality of what they were thinking, and also factoring in that they have a new coach in Frank Vogel who's very defensive oriented and is going to stress that part of it. I think too that them trading out of the lottery this year is not as as bad as it sounds because they already have a group of so many young guys mm-hmm. between Alfred Payton, um, Aaron Gordon, Mario Hazonia. Um, I think I don't think they really wanted necessarily maybe to add another guy like that's 20. Right. So I think from that standpoint I understand what they did and I also think that I like Oladipo a lot as a player but I don't know if he's that much of a guy that you can say we can't get we can't part with this guy right. especially when you're bringing in you have like I said you have other guards that you're also trying to develop. So I think maybe from like a chemistry standpoint, that move might have been what they were thinking is that it makes the most sense. But yeah, it's a risk that he won't resign. But I think, I think Orlando is in, is in that trying to get out of that mode of saying like, 
okay, two years from now we're going to be good. Three right. years from now we're going to be good. I think they're they're past that point and they they want to win now and they want to put a team out there that can make the playoffs and and go from there. Yeah, they've improved the last few seasons as far as win totals. So I think they're looking they are looking to get that extra get over the hump and get into the playoffs. And now you have a front court of Vucevic and Ibaka, which mm-hmm. could be pretty scary there in the Eastern Conference. All right, before we get out of here, and uh, we'll have Jim add his final notes about what to expect next for the Pelicans and the NBA as we talk about these lovely mock drafts. We also talk about the draft grades. I remember we talked about how, you yeah. know, as uh, you have an article about how a lot of uh, national media gave the Pelicans an A uh, based on drafting Buddy Heal and also drafting Czech Diallo in the second round. But these mock drafts, you know, we could sit here uh, till we're blue in the face and do these mock drafts two months away or two months before. And it only takes one team to kind of throw things off. It only takes one trade to throw things off. And I think that kind of showed this year when one Jalen Brown was taken third, even though some I saw did have Jalen Brown Mm -hmm. at number three. And also at the trade at number eight where Marcus Chris gets drafted by the Kings and then they make that trade. Yeah, I mean... I think there's two sides of the mock drafts. One, it's easy to sit here and say like they're I don't I don't want to say worthless, but they they they're so far off mm-hmm. because I mean there were so many things that that were came out of nowhere this year that were like for example, not one mock draft that I saw had Thon Maker as anywhere close to the 10th pick. Right. I I want to say Maybe there were some that had him in the mid to late twenties. Yeah, some had him sliding into the second round potentially. Right, but so that came out of nowhere. Um, the second guy that Boston took, who actually worked out here, um, got picked sixteen. I don't think anyone had him that. Some people had him maybe late first round, but nobody had him sixteen. So I mean, there were and the the guy that ended up with Sacramento, Papa Giannis. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say it. He no one had him. As I don't know if people haven't had him as a first round pick, he ends up 13. So the bottom line is that a lot of these mock drafts were way off. But at the same time, it's easy to second guess them. But but no you doubt. have to you have to realize that um, all it takes is one team. Like if Milwaukee really loved Thon Maker, obviously, so they pick him way higher than everyone thought, and that throws everything off. It bumps a bunch of guys down later in the draft, and I think. In general, one of the biggest things that happened, if there was a theme to the unpredictability of the first round this year, it was that there were a lot of international players that people did not think were going to go that high. Mm -hmm. And that threw off everything. And that also threw off um, uh, Deontay Davis, who was at the draft combine, one of the prominent guys. I think Jay Billis had him 10th in his big board. He got picked 31st. Well, a big reason for that, without knowing a lot of the specifics about Davis as a player individually, is... There were a lot of European guys that got picked ahead of him that I would imagine that a lot of people who follow college basketball had never heard of. So you got guys like him, and there were a few other examples as well of players who moved to the second round that were not expecting that to happen. But when you have five, six, eight European guys, international guys that get picked higher than anyone, and not one mock draft has them going that high. I mean, it, it kind of has a ripple effect and a domino effect on the order of everything. Is there anything worse? I'm not saying worse because you are drafted in the NBA, but is there anything worse than being picked 31? <laughs> because you're, I don't just, think you're, so. you're one pick away from guaranteed contract, guaranteed money. Yeah. And you're that, just one pick away. Now you go into the second round. Yeah, I think that, that's got to be tough. I mean – to be that close to having a guaranteed deal and not have it. But at the same time, I do think that's – I think people realize 
and I think the players are getting more savvy about this as well as time goes on, um, of understanding that, yeah, it's important where you get picked, and it's super important to have the security of a guaranteed contract. And I could go on for days about why um, people who criticize players for not going in the draft are are not seeing the full picture because you get more chances from a team if you're picked in the first round than you do if you're in the second round, mm-hmm. flat out. Right. You could be you could be su- super disappointing as a first round pick, and you'll get a million chances, maybe even all the other places in the league. But um, I think players are understanding though that it's more about what you do once you get drafted than it is necessarily your status. I mean, we right. could come up with a million examples. Like Draymond Green was one of the best players in the league this year. He was picked 35th. Yeah. Kind of in that same range of what you're talking yep. about. We're just outside of the first round. Check Diallo. I think he'll have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder just for the fact that he thought and they were projecting him as a late first round pick. Right. So I think, I mean, some of those guys is more motivation for them. And mm-hmm. like Draymond Green, you mentioned, he memorized every person that was picked ahead of them, which is quite <laughs> impressive because I can't remember yeah. what I had for breakfast this morning, right. let alone uh, who was picked. 34 places in front of him during the NBA draft. So good stuff there. Jim, I can offer from pelicans.com. So now draft is over. Obviously free agency starts July 1st. First, excuse me. Um, as far as what we can talk about when July 1st hits, hits basically nothing um, with the moratorium. <laughs> right. Not sure when the moratorium ends this year. Um, I'll have to look that up. I think it's, I think it's around the 10th. It usually is. I need to look that up as well. I mean, it's not really that pressing that we know that right now because it's going to be a little while before we can say anything, like you said. I thought they might have shortened it, though, a little bit this year. Yeah. I mean, that might be a good idea after the DeAndre Jordan debacle of last summer. So so obviously once all that stuff becomes official, then we can talk about these free agencies. But from now, you're just going to have to look at other reports as far as what the Pelicans might do starting July 1st. So free agency... Um, starts this Friday, which is pretty exciting. And then just after that, Jim, Summer League. So lots to look forward to here if you're an NBA fan and a Pelicans fan. Yeah, I mean, this is an exciting time of year for a lot of people, especially the people that are really more into the, the wheeling and dealing and the moves and the I like rumors mm-hmm. and transactions and stuff like that. Yeah, it seems like you know there's a stretch of two or three weeks in a row where the whole scope of the NBA can change between the draft and – when free agency starts on July 1st and then even getting to see in summer league, there's some guys that break out that you didn't expect that might be able to make an impact. So, yeah, I think this is definitely one of the most um, interesting times of the year in terms of, you know, just seeing how next season is going to look and as, as far as rosters and, and player moves and, and that kind of thing. And you already uh, mentioned, you tweeted it today that buddy heel already here working out, at the Pelicans facility, so nice to hear and see that. Um, so here we go. So July 1st, free agency starts. Um, for all the stuff, if you missed anything about the draft, uh, Jim did a phenomenal job here in uh, New Orleans and also at the draft. All this stuff is on Pelicans.com, Pelicans mobile app. Tons of interviews, the press conference with Buddy and Sheck from Friday, if you missed that. Also, Alvin Gentry talked on Friday. Dell talked Thursday night after the draft. He also talked for a brief second after pick number six was made, if you want to check that out. Also, uh, Sean Kelly, John DeShazer, and I did a long six-hour NBA draft show on Thursday night. If you missed any of our interviews, we have some of them up on pelicans.com. That includes Del Demps, Alvin Gentry, um, Danny Ferry, which no one has been able to talk to. So Danny Ferry, an exclusive interview with him, David Booth, as well as Long Kruger, uh, Buddy Heald's college coach, and also Buddy Heald, as we mentioned, Jim was able to get him on 
at the draft as well. So make sure you can check on pelicans.com, Pelicans mobile app for all those. And once free agency is officially over, as far as the moratorium, then I'm sure Jim and I would come back here and do a pop-up podcast again until we go full-time back in late July. So, Jim, anything else you would like to add before we get out of here? Um, I think I covered pretty much everything. Um, I'm, I'm just looking forward to um, Summer League that we'll be going to next week. And um, pretty cool, I think, that uh, I've t- touched on this a little bit here and there and on Twitter that um, ESPN is kind of um, joining the party as far as Summer League goes in terms of coverage. And the first Pelican Summer League game on July 8th against the Lakers is going to be on ESPN, which I think is great. It's great to see coverage on NBA TV. I think they do an awesome job. But I think everyone knows that, you know, being on primetime basically on ESPN for Summer League, that's a nice step forward as far as the coverage of the league. And I think it kind of shows a lot as far as how much bigger Summer League has gotten. I remember going a few years ago. And there were some games that there were maybe three or four hundred people in the stands. If you were playing against a, a team that was, you know, not a marquee team or not didn't have a a, a high, uh, a well-known rookie there. So I mean, it's really come a long way to think that now the games, the the opening game for the Pelicans is on ESPN against yeah. the Lakers and their number two pick. So I think it's going to be cool. I'm really looking forward to going to Las Vegas again this year. Yeah, and the Lakers, like you mentioned, with Brandon Ingram, number two pick, they'll probably have D'Angelo Russell playing in that. You'll have Julius Randle playing in that, Larry Nance. I mean, the Lakers yep. will have a very good summer league team. The Pelicans made the playoffs last year. I think everyone makes playoffs, but they made a pretty decent run last year. They made it to the semifinals yeah. last year, so, yeah, they made it. There's 24 teams there. They made it to the Final Four, which is which is pretty good, of course. Right, so let's see. And you also first chance to see Buddy Heald, so I think that will be cool yeah. to see prime time. And that means most of these games you can probably at least see on ESPN3 right. if they're not on national television. So that's mm-hmm. a big step up from potentially having to pay online for a subscription to those games. And plus there's more games now with the playoff. You're seeing more than just three games and being done. Right. You're at least guaranteed four, I believe. Five. Five, five total. You're guaranteed yep. five and then mm-hmm. potentially more if you make it throughout the bracket. And, of course, Jim will have all that coverage on Pelicans.com and the Pelicans mobile app throughout Summer League there in Las Vegas. This is where Jim becomes a uh, temporary resident <laughs> of the great city of Las Vegas. That's You're there right. for what, two weeks? Um, This time I'll be there for like eight or nine days. I have to come back here for a wedding, but um, it'll still be a nice long stint. The first time, I, or not the first time, but one of the times a few years ago I went there, I was there for 19 consecutive days, so... It won't be as long as that. I remember when I checked into the hotel, the woman behind the counter looked at me and she said, this says you're here for 19 days. And she was sure that it had to be a misprint, but that was not the case. It was it was true. So I was there for almost three weeks straight, which was really uh, interesting. And you got write-in votes for mayor of Las Vegas <laughs> when your time was there. Exactly. They'll, exactly. Be well, they'll be glad to have you back, Jim. And we appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, Jim Eikenhoff from Pelicans.com. I'm Daniel Salerson. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and you never know when we'll pop up again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.